So we'll turn to Deuteronomy 21 and we will be reading from verse 10 just to verse 14 in a few moments. You know, something uh, we discovered this week, and this amazed us actually because we, we both heard this little snippet on, the, uh, on Radio 4 on the Today programme. And it was about, it was a, a Sikh guy who, who speaks on to- a thought for the day now and again. They, they have a right mixture on thought for the day, but actually this guy, sometimes what he says is not that bad. <laughs> but he, he did mention that about what a pagan was. And he wasn't included as he was, with this definition, he, he was regarded as a pagan and he didn't think he was a pagan. But you know what the dictionary definition of a pagan is? And this is what he came out with. And I, I looked up the dictionaries and he was right. The Oxford Dictionary. But this isn't the Oxford Dictionary. I looked up another dictionary. It says a person who is not a Christian, Jew, or Muslim. Persons who worship many gods are no god, heathen. The ancient Greeks and most of the Romans were pagans because they did not know or believe in the god worshipped by Christians and Jews and later the Muslims. And then I looked up heathen to see what heathen was. And it's much the same. A person who does not believe in the god of the Bible or the Quran. A person who is not a Christian, Jew or Muslim. A pagan. It's interesting. This this, this uh, amazed me actually. And then this particular diction went on. It was a little bit better than the others. It said in the Old Testament, the Gentiles, or people who did not worship Jehovah, the God of the Jews. The Bible. That's more like the Bible definition of what we regard a pagan or a heathen. But it just shows you how things have changed over the years and they've slipped in now the Muslims <coughs> Psalm 96 verse 5 for all the gods of the nations all the gods of the nations are idols but the Lord made the heavens before Christ we've said this before before Christ there were only two types of people in the world there were Jews and Gentiles Jews who trusted and believed in God and Gentiles who were pagans or heathens after the resurrection there were three types of people in the world there were Jews Gentiles and Christians so there we are but you see that definition about uh, those who believe in God the Muslims, the Jews and the, the people of the Quran the Roman Catholic Catechism says that the, the God who will judge people on the last day is the same God as the Muslims God quite a remarkable thing in, in the Roman Catholic Catechism they say that they believe that uh, Allah will be the one because he is the, the God of the son of Abraham and he is going to worship, to, to judge the people on the last day it's amazing isn't it, that they have that in their catechism keep yourselves from idols, John says now here's another interesting bit of information fans of the Indian cricket captain who is 
very much uh, a popular character in India, Mahendra Singh Dongi. They're building a temple to worship him. The temple in Ranchi in eastern India will feature a white marble statue of the sports star and relief carvings <coughs> of the player in action looking down on his disciples. Jitendra Singh, the president of Dhoni's fan club, says Dhoni is God to cricket and we have decided to construct a temple. He will be worshipped like other gods are worshipped. And there's a, an Indian cricket historian and Oxford scholar, Maria Mazumda. He said, I think the act exemplifies what cricket means to India. Imagine that, the Indian cricket guy is going to have a temple built to him and they're going to worship him. But you know, the comment I got when I was looking at this, it says that not only Indians who worship sports stars, the idolatry is committed by Americans and Canadians and British and German and French and South Africans, you name it. Professional sports is one of the gods of modern times. And look at this soccer player who has been bought for 108 million pounds. When people are starving throughout the world, this guy's going to be sold for 108 million pounds. It's amazing. This man says, can a born-again child of God committed idolatry? Indeed, otherwise, why did John write, little children, keep yourselves from idols? First John 5, 21. And why did James write, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James 4, 4. Now we were talking a while ago about the various taxes the government are bringing in. And uh, this is happening worldwide. New laws, new regulations are constantly coming in to make man's life more difficult all the way around. And we're talking about this global warming thing. You know, this has become uh, very serious. We, we saw a few weeks ago the terms that people use against people who do not believe in global warming have become more, more serious. And uh, they talk now about sort of uh, anti-global warming criminals and things. But this is just, you know, it seems so ridiculous, but it's just indicative of what's happening. Wait till you read this. The following is from a a, a little bit. Government considering gas tax on cows. Now, you you think this was going to be something funny, but it's serious. Scientists say an average dairy cow can pass 50 to 100 gallons of gases into the air daily. The federal EPA, which I think is the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, is considering a gas tax on dairy cattle and other farm animals. For dairy cows, the tax could be $175 for each animal per year. The Animal Farm Bureau Federation says that could cost a medium-sized dairy farm $40,000 a year. We won't even make that in profit this year, said Brenda Hastings of Hastings Dairy in Burton. This is in the States. 
Hastings pointed out that the Farm Bureau research shows that dairy cattle emissions account for only 0.66% of greenhouse gases. More than two-thirds of greenhouse gases, she claims, come from water vapour. Maybe they should tax Lake Erie instead, (laughs) she said. And uh, I hate to say this, but it's not... It isn't really utterly ridiculous. <laughs> but there we are. I thought, I thought I'd put that in. <laughs> but you know, all these things, all these things are indicative of what's happening. And look at this. You know, we all have to conform. Everybody now will have to conform. If we don't conform to these faith ideals that they're producing and all that kind of stuff, the Tony Blair Institute and things, we will be ostracized. But in, in Japan... The following comes from Universal Health Care and the Wasteline Police. It was on ABC News on January the 11th. <clears throat> Imagine a country where the government regularly checks the waistlines of citizens over the age of 40. Anyone deemed too fat would be required to undergo diet counselling. Those who fail to lose sufficient weight could face further re-education and their communities subject to stiffer fines. Is this some nightmarish idea? No, this is contemporary Japan. The Japanese government argues that it must regulate citizens' lifestyles because it is paying their health costs. This highlights one of the great underappreciated dangers of universal health care. You see... <coughs> We're all going to have to conform. And even in Japan, you're going to have to conform to the size. We thought it was bad when bananas couldn't be meant. But here, this is... It's serious. It has a laughable side to it, but it's serious. So that's all I have on those little bits and pieces. Let's turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 21 and verse 10. (coughs) When thou goest forth to war against thine enemies... And the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive. And seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and hast a desire unto her that thou wouldest have her to thy wife. Then thou shalt bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head and pare her nails. And she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off her, and shall remain in thine house, and bewail her father and her mother a full month. And after that thou shalt go in unto her, and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. (coughs) And it shall be, if thou have no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go whither she will. But thou shalt not sell her at all for money. Thou shalt not make her make merchandise of her, because she thou hast humbled her. This is an interesting uh, little passage, isn't it? <coughs> you can see how it could possibly arise: a soldier and a beautiful girl. God realized that this could happen. I'm sure it's happened to our troops in 
Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm sure it, it, it's fairly frequent. It happened, as we know, during the war with the GIs, some with good results and some with disastrous results. Under the rules of fighting foreign cities, Israel was firstly to offer a peace offering to the city they came up against. And if that was accepted, the inhabitants were to become servants and laborers to Israel. If, however, they, this is in chapter 20, if you can go back and read it. If they came up to a city and offered a peace treaty and they refused it, all the males were to be killed, and the women and the little ones and the cattle were to be spared, and they were to become uh, the property of Israel. So we may assume that this beautiful woman was from a foreign city who had either surrendered or who had resisted, and she survived. Uh, so the soldier saw her and thought to himself, there's a beautiful girl, I think I would like her to be my wife. You know, God knows the heart, and he could see this possibility arising. And he permitted it so to be. Although this was permitted, it was never God's first desire for Israel to marry strange wives. It was never his, his desire. But he, he, and we see this here and there in scripture, that God permitted things, even though it wasn't his first desire. We, if you remember when it was the desire for the whole of Israel to move to the promised land but Reuben Gad and half Manasseh they decided to stay on this side of the Jordan and God in his graciousness even gave them uh, three cities of refuge on that side of the Jordan but it was his desire more for them to have gone into the promised land but they didn't but because of that God then uh, still permitted these other cities to be built so we should always seek what is God's best for us and what his desire is for us rather than what his second best might be I don't think he has a second best really it's our ideas so rules were put in place for this woman and this soldier and they had to act on these particular rules. You know, we say, don't we, marry in haste, repent at leisure. Sadly, many have found that to be true, only too true, especially in these days of loose uh, living and easy divorce and all the rest of it. He was to take her home to his house where she had to remain for one month she shaved her head you know that was said by some people that in the east in those days if they changed their religion that was a sign of being proselytized uh, it certainly was a sign of mourning we read in Job when he heard of all the things that had happened to him he shaved his head it was a sign of mourning. This girl had been taken away from her, her at least from her mother, maybe from both her parents, and <clears throat> she shaved her head as a sign 
of mourning. She, she pared her nails. Now, there seems to be some doubt as to what is meant by this pairing of the nails. Uh, it, it may have been the fact that she just left her nails unkempt instead of uh, decorating them as they, they used to do with henna and stuff. <coughs> she did not care for them. She showed a lack of interest in herself. She was to remove her traditional tribal garments. And these were usually in attractive colours in the, in the East. She was to take those off and presumably replace them with duller mourning clothes. She was to be given time to reconcile her thoughts, to get over her mourning for her parents as she faced a new life. And then, after that time, the soldier could go in and take her as his wife. But then if, 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 and it might have even been before that month was over, or even afterwards, if he did not delight in her, he was to let her go. Thou shalt let her go, whither she will, but she, he wasn't allowed to sell her as a slave or anything. He was still to, to treat her with dignity and honour. All this was for the benefit of the woman as well as for the man to test his attitude to her we, we all see this we see somebody looking very beautiful but he was to be given time and she was to be given time she would obviously in that month look an awful, an awful lot less attractive to him her shaven head unkept nails unattractive clothes mourning for her parents would he still love her in those circumstances and you know I think this is very good advice to our modern youth isn't it they meet in circumstances these days totally divorced from everyday life dressed in the most modern gear plenty of spending money to fritter away out every night swinging the night away an easy come easy go attitude to life and then suddenly the reality of living together looking across the table at breakfast him half shaved and she with hair curlers in <laughs> trying to make ends meet and then a child arrives no more freedom to move around as they wish and sadly we know the results only too well maybe a bit of Deuteronomy would be a good thing for our youth today wouldn't it a month at least you know a commentary I read repeats pretty well what I, I had thought about when I read this little thing the female captive became the slave of the victor who had the sole and unchallengeable control of right to that person but God brought in these little laws to try and make the situation which was never his desire but nevertheless to make the situation 
much more manageable. A month was the usual period of mourning for the Jews. And he goes on about cutting the hair and letting the nails go on camp. And if his love should afterwards cool and he became indifferent to her person, he was not to lord it over her, neither to sell her in the slave market, nor retain her in a subordinate condition in his house. But he was to be free, free with her. She was to have the freedom to go where her inclinations led her. And, you know, that was the, that's the situation. And that was a good thing. And then it moves on to the next thing about a man having two wives. But for us, there must be a lesson here for us as Christians. It is a picture of God and his people Israel. We've been looking at Deuteronomy for the past long time now. We're getting there. But in Deuteronomy 14 verse 2, if you look at that, it says, it gives what God thought of his people, the Jews. 14 verse 2. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. God had chosen these people. He had desired them. He chose them to be particular to him. Again, uh, if we go back a bit further uh, in... uh, well, I'll read it here. It's, it's back a bit, a few verses back. But For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Saying exactly what he said in chapter 14. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because ye were in number, more than any other people for ye were the fewest of all people why then did he want the Jewish nation he says but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand redeemed you out of the house of Bombay from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He loved them and he desired them. Just like this soldier saw this woman, God saw his beloved people Israel not for any reason that they were better than anybody else that there were more of them than anybody else no he loved them it was because he loved them he desired them and if you look at Jeremiah 31 and verse 32 here's what he says
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt which my covenant they broke they broke the covenant that God had with them although he says I was a husband unto them the children of Israel the, the, the husband he was a husband to them and that's what this man this soldier he took this woman because he desired her he loved her and he was going to be a husband to her and that's what God that was the relationship which God had with his beloved people the children of Israel he brought them out he redeemed them but what did they do turn to Ezekiel chapter 16 we haven't time to read all of this it's a very long chapter but we'll just pick out a few little bits in verse 8 now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee behold thy time was the time of love and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness yea I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee saith the Lord and thou becamest mine I washed thee with water yea I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee and I anointed thee with oil I clothed thee with embroidered work and shod thee with badger skin and I girded thee about with fine linen and I covered thee with silk I decked thee also with ornaments and I put bracelets upon thy hands and a chain upon thy neck and I put a jewel on thy forehead and earrings in thine ears and a beautiful crown upon thine head Thou was decked with gold and silver and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk and embroidered work thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil and thou wast exceeding beautiful and thou didst prosper into a kingdom and thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty for it was perfect through my comeliness which I have put upon thee saith the Lord God God had made them beautiful but thou didst trust in thine own beauty and playest the harlot because of thy renown and pourest out thy fornications on everyone that passed by his it was God did not then desire her God then let her go her own way God let Israel go according to her desire that's a sad thing he was to be a husband he wanted to be a husband to her he wanted he, he loved her he decked her out he gave her so much but she played the harlot and sometime read through what happened in Ezekiel chapter 16 he did not treat her as a slave he did not force her to stay he did not return, retain her against her will 
God let Israel go according to her desire. What a solemn lesson for you and me today. 1 Peter 2 tells us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Which in time past you are not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. God has loved us when we were unlovable. We were in our sin. We were in our wickedness. There was nothing beautiful in us. But God could see in us something which he could make beautiful. Paul, writing in Galatians, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me. He loves me. He delights in me. May we follow him closely and not go according to our own desires. You see, it happened in Christ's day. Look at John 6. Goodness, when Christ was here on earth, people wanted to keep on following him. John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. And then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? We know that Peter said, To whom shall we go? Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. But that applied also to the others. The others who walked away. They walked no more with him. We've no reading, we've no mention of Jesus running after these. Who would leave him. But rather he turned to his disciples. And said, will ye also go away? The rich young ruler who came, Jesus loved him. But we've no, he didn't run after him. To whom else shall we go? Simon Peter said. But God will not keep us by force. If we want to go our own way, he will let us go our own way. That's a sad thing, isn't it? You know, it happened to Paul. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus unto Galatia. Only Luke is with me. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. 
Second Timothy 1 verse 15 this thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are Figulus and Hermogenes all they which are in Asia have turned away from him they've gone their own way 2 Timothy 4 and 16 at my first answer when he went to court no man stood with me but all men forsook me I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge the apostle Paul no one stood with him when he had to answer in court how sad and it is something we need to be on our guard against that we don't go our own way I remember an Australian child speaking years ago years ago and he said God will just put you up on a shelf and you'll be left there and he says there's plenty of room up on that shelf sadly may our desires ever be for our Lord and Saviour that he may never let us go according to our own desires but that we may ever seek his will his glory and his presence with us day by day that we may walk close to him day by day that's all I have to say today but it's very serious let us never walk seeking our own desires but to follow the master so that he will never have to say to us will ye also go away because we know to whom else can we go he alone has the words of eternal life